to Fun with Science with Travis and Steve. Here at Fun with Science, we love viewer input. And I've got an email here from Sarah and Moline. He says, Dear Steve and Travis, what do elephants brush their teeth with? Well, it's funny that you should ask because we've got something here called elephant toothpaste. Why don't you show them, Steve? Well, hey, Heritage, welcome to all of you here in Rock Island, as well as those at our Bettendorf and QC West campuses, and those of you joining us online. This is week four of our Chain Reaction series, and we're calling it Chain Reaction because a chain reaction is a, a series of reactions where one thing results in additional reactions, where one thing leads to another, just like the experiment we saw in the opening video. Our series is a journey in response to a letter. It's not a letter from a curious fan wanting to know about the oral hygiene of elephants. It's a different letter, one where we can see the chain reactions between life and faith through Jesus, and one where we can see how life can be different depending on who or what we depend on. In fact, who or what we depend on can determine a lot. The dictionary defines the word depend as to put trust in or to, to rely on for help or support. Who or what we depend on can, can really determine a lot of significant things in our lives. Not much unlike the four gentlemen in these four pictures. Check these out. This is a picture capturing a unique level of dependence. There's some serious trust being placed in a guy who doesn't seem very interested or focused. <laughs> Are you with me? <laughs> who or what we depend on can determine a lot. Okay, here's another one. How about these guys? I'll let you take it all in for just a moment. Yeah, you're seeing it now. All I can say, here, here's all I can say about this. These guys are friends for now. <laughs> they are friends for now. Who we depend on determines a lot. All right, next one, check out these guys. Yeah, that's creative, that's creative, but relying on the guy holding the bottom ladder may not be the primary concern, because that guy at the bottom ladder could do a bang up job, just a really great job of holding that bottom ladder, but be a great witness to a catastrophe nonetheless. Who or what we depend on can determine a lot. Last picture I want to show you is a guy who decided not to depend on anybody else, but to rely on himself and his own ingenuity and a couple of boards. Check this out. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to know if he made it, don't you? <laughs> Who or what we depend on can determine a lot. And the book of Colossians shows us that those who rely on Jesus can live in a manner worthy of the life, the power, the relationship that comes when we walk with God. And it explains that our life can be different when we depend on Jesus, when we trust Him. In fact, we see through the whole letter that whatever we face, Jesus is enough. He is all sufficient. And if you're here today and you've never given Jesus authority or lordship in your life, I want to encourage you to, to lean in and listen in 
Because this is an opportunity for you to know how the things in your life that are broken or messed up or hopeless can be changed. And for those who have made a decision to follow Jesus, the opportunity today is to learn how to live more fully in that reality. Because the book of Colossians explains that for us. So let's take a look at what Paul wrote and get right into Scripture at the start here. So grab whatever you like. You've got a printed Bible, you've got your Bible on a device like me, or you've got the sermon notes as well. We're in Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be starting around verse 21, and we're backing up into where we were last week because it helps set us up for what we're talking about this week. And specifically, if you're using your sermon notes guide, the, scriptures, the first scripture is up in the right-hand corner of that first page, and you can use that and follow along. So this is Colossians chapter 1, starting with verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Now, that's some good stuff. That is, that is the good news of the gospel in a nutshell. I mean, Jesus rescues us and reconciles us in relationship to God. But Paul goes on to say a little bit more, and this part's pretty important. Colossians verse 23. But you must continue. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you have received when you heard the good news. See, what Paul is doing right here is reminding us that even though we make a decision for Jesus, there is more. I'm not talking about more to do. I'm talking about more to become. More freedom, more growth, more fruit, more life, life to the full. But if we don't know how that happens or how it doesn't happen, we can miss out on the more. We can miss out on all that Jesus has for us. We talked about Drift two weeks ago, and if you're curious for more about that, you can go to heritageqc.com and click on the media tab, and you can check that out. But the reality is that if we don't understand how it works or how it doesn't work, then we will ultimately drift from a relationship that God truly wants for us in His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, the good news is, the cool part of this is, that when we make a decision for Jesus, we don't have to drift. We don't have to drift. In fact, there's more to life than we ever realized in Jesus. When we accept Him, uh, we're not done Receiving Him as Lord and Savior, it's more than a moment. It moves well beyond a decision. It's not an end in itself. It's the beginning of a journey. And it's the most meaningful and significant journey we can ever make in life. To walk in relationship to God through Jesus. But the key, as Paul just reminded us, in that journey is that we continue in it. That we continue in it as a people rescued but not yet arrived. You see, one of the realities of that journey, and it's actually one of the areas I think we can struggle in and we can get backwards and not figure out how to get out of it. It's a principle that relates to the ideas of being and doing. Being and doing. In fact, your first feeling, if you're following along in your sermon notes guide, is that our being leads to doing. Being leads to doing. Often, though, in spite of that, we, as we've seen in the first few weeks of our series, we tend to want to try to let our doing lead into some form of being, but it doesn't work that way. Being leads to doing. 
So let's take a moment to review. And, and in the words of the great Inigo Montoya, let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. And let's review a little bit of the journey so far. So Jesus, he is the one who rescues. So when we ask Jesus or receive Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, we end up in a position where we are saved. We have been brought from death to life, from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. When we receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, we are saved. But that's not the end of the journey. It is the beginning of the journey where we continue in a progress or progression where we become a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ, one who looks and acts like him. And not just any kind of disciple, but a multiplying disciple, one who makes other disciples. Now, this journey from being saved to becoming, increasingly becoming a disciple who makes disciples is a journey. And we can be tempted because of things in this world and other things we hear to drift away, to peel away. And, and this principle of drift is what Paul was addressing when he wrote to the church in Colossae. It was the issue of syncretism. They were letting other beliefs, pagan beliefs, and, and other things to, to disrupt their understanding of the journey in relationship with Jesus. And Paul was calling them back to this straight-line journey from salvation to the reality of living as a disciple who makes disciples. That's the progression. In fact, what he does in the first section of the letter, he, he talks about a prayer he's praying. And in verses 9 to 14, he prays a prayer where he says, Look, I pray that you would have knowledge of the will of God, by the Spirit. And so he says, by the Spirit, I pray that you have knowledge. And I pray that that knowledge would position you to live a life that is worthy. And that worthy life is one marked by growth, one marked by fruit, and one marked by the power of God at work within us. But not just there, that we would continue to the point that we live as a people with endurance, and with patience, and with joy. And what Paul does, just in that brief section of his prayer, he's laying out a progression of how, through Jesus, we receive the Spirit who gives us knowledge of the will of God, who positions us to be worthy so that we can live in this life with endurance. He's laying out that concept of letting our being lead to our doing. This is the way it works. The problem is the world says it goes the other way, that we should start with doing and that that lead to our being. They say that we should endure, we should demonstrate patience so that we demonstrate that we are worthy to receive some kind of knowledge from God, to receive his spirit and have a relationship with him. That is not only backwards, it'll never work. It does not work that way. Jesus is the one who rescues and out of his rescue, he gives us himself, he gives us a spirit, so we have knowledge, so we can live a life that's worthy, we can have the endurance. And that rescue is ultimately simply about him. He's the one that does it. But far too often as a people, we, we kind of look at Jesus as somebody who simply offers to us sympathy. And if we only see him as someone who says, I understand your pain, I've been there, I've done that, I love little children, I love you, hang in there, buddy. If that's all we see Jesus as, then that positions us to only interact with him down here. And then we position ourselves to try to let our doing lead to being as we work backwards up the process and up the journey. That's not the way it works. See, if we're trying to do this, we're putting focus on us. We're making it about us. But when we understand that he is the one who rescues, it's about him. And therefore, through him and his power, all of this begins to happen in the life of an individual who submits and yields to him. 
It was Jason who helped us last week to understand that when, when Jesus redeems us, buys us back, or Jesus reconciles us, brings us back into harmony with God, that out of that he equips us and sends us out as ambassadors to live as disciples. Our, our life can be radically different because of Jesus, because of who he is. We're created for more than we often realize. We're created for a life empowered for significant impact, for significant things. But sin, mistakes, regrets, those failures in our life, that stuff gets in there and it, it gets in the way and it leaves us stuck in a lesser life because we can't get free on our own. We can't undo what is. But Jesus can. Because of Jesus, what is doesn't have to be. Because of Jesus, we can't, what can't be done on our own can actually be done through him. So because of Jesus, what can't be, can be. What can't be done on our own can be done through him. What is doesn't have to be. Let's actually take a moment to look at something Jesus said about this. And it's in John chapter 15, if you want to turn there. Otherwise, it's on the screen and in your sermon notes guide. It's John 15, verse 5 where Jesus says this. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from him, we can do what? Nothing. Nada. Zip. Zero. Zilch. But with him, all things are possible. Without him, we're stuck. And Jesus goes on to say in the next couple of verses, verses 7 and 8, let me read them for you. He says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Do you see the connection between Jesus' prayer, or Jesus' words and Paul's prayer? Do you see the connection? Jesus is saying, look, if you remain in me, you abide in me in some translations, it says. If you remain in me, this ultimately is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. If you remember what Paul did in his opening prayer, he said, he said look, I, I pray that you will live a life that is worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Verse 10. And that, that worthiness is marked by growth. It was marked by fruit and marked by his power at work in us. And so what Paul is saying is that through Jesus, by the Spirit, we can live a life that's worthy of bearing fruit. And what Jesus is praying is saying, look, you live a life that bears fruit, you're bringing glory to God, and you're living a life that is worthy, but it comes through me, as you abide in me. The difference is you and I often try to do something to bear fruit so that we live worthy, and we miss out on the fact we can't do that. It has to be through him. It's him and not us. We have to remain in him, abide in him, rest in him. Living and abiding in Jesus, following him, serving him, honoring him, brings glory to God. And it, and it means more for us. It, it means more growth. It means more impact. It means more strength. It means more. But it only happens through him to us, not through us to him. There's a powerful principle in what Jesus said here in John 15. And I actually see this principle popping in and out of the entire letter to the, book, uh, to the church in Colossae. It's this statement. 
I think this statement summarizes it. What we depend on determines what's possible. What we depend on determines what's possible. Now, let's see where this pops up in the next section of Colossians in our passage for today, which we're starting in verse 24, and it's going to roll on into chapter 2, verse 5. It's a, it's a longer section, but we're just going to read it along, and, and I want to encourage you to incorporate and apply that observe, interpret, apply process that we've been working on as a church family of how we move from reading Scripture to studying it. And, and as we do that, remember, this is Paul writing from a prison cell in Rome to a, a people, to a church. Because if you remember, we don't go to church, we are the church. So when Paul is writing to the church, he's writing to a people, and it's a people he'd never met. So let's take a look at this. Colossians chapter 1, starting with verse uh, 24. You can follow along, circle stuff, highlight stuff, uh, whatever helps you take this deeper. I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me personally. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you. And I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. So, just for a moment, understand this. Here we have Paul writing to a people he hasn't met. And he's finding joy in suffering. Now, that's not a common response to suffering in this world. Most people are glad when they don't suffer. And, and when it's not them suffering, even if it means someone else is and, and most people typically aren't glad when they suffer for somebody they don't even know. But it happens. It's not common, but it occurs. And, and when it does, there's usually a greater unifying cause or purpose that brings them together, that allows them to suffer together, or to suffer for one another, or for the sake of somebody else. Kind of like what's illustrated in this recent McDonald's commercial. Check it out. Any, any FIFA World Cup fans in the house? Woo, few of you, you're a rowdy bunch. Go Team USA. All right, now listen. Here's why I, this is why I wanted to show this to you. Those guys willingly sacrificed for that woman. They, 
out of a common appreciation for the sport of soccer, they sacrifice for somebody they didn't know. Look, most people are glad when they're not suffering. Even if it means someone else is. And certainly not glad when they're suffering for someone they don't even know. But Paul was gladly suffering for the church out of a love and relationship with Jesus. You see, something changes in our life when we're rescued, when we're redeemed and bought back by Jesus. Something changes in us and how we look at the world and how things occur. When, when, when we are rescued by Him and, re- and positioned to experience these things, when our being is leading to doing, then the circumstances of life provide nothing more for us than context. They don't define us. Circumstances that we face today may inform and shape and define our situation, but when we live this way, rescued, they don't define us. When our being leads to doing, circumstances don't define us. Let me go one layer deep on this with you. One of the things I love to do is to scuba dive. Ever since I was a little kid, I wanted to learn to dive. And I told my parents, convinced them so passionately, they said, that, Sean, when you're six feet tall, we'll pay for you to go get certified as a diver. I'm like, awesome. So I quickly went to my room, and I started measuring myself on the door frame of my bedroom, marking my height. And I was like down here. And I was using little plastic scuba divers. I would mark my line and hang them there. And I did that for a long time. So I kept growing and just moving my line up and up and up. And I don't know if my parents intentionally were this smart about it. But by the time I was six feet tall, I had other things of interest in mind, and they didn't have to send me to get certified. But I still had the passion. And so six years ago, I was certified as a diver. Absolutely love the experience of scuba diving. Over the past six years, I've logged hours and dives and gone through training to the point that I've reached the the level of master scuba diver. Actually, I've done that with my son, Joshua. And that's something that we share together as father and son. We get to go and do that and just enjoy that time together. But one of the coolest things, yeah, that's great. I absolutely love it. One of the coolest things about being a diver, and I never grow tired of this, is leaving one atmosphere to go to another. Leaving one environment and settling into another. From the, where the realities of one place don't play out or work out in the realities of the other. And it doesn't matter if it's just rough seas and windy and rainy and just rough on top. The moment that you drop out of the boat and land in the water and you submerge, everything's different. It's quieter. It's calmer. And the deeper you drop, the deeper you go, the less and less the conditions and circumstances on the surface have any effect. See, the reason I share that is to illustrate that when we abide in Jesus, the deeper we rest in Him, the less circumstances have any effect on us. The less circumstances define us. We actually live in a way outside of them, where circumstances don't determine who we are. To the point that suffering for the good of another even someone we don't even know can become second nature. And a place that we can actually find joy 
regardless of the circumstances. You see, true faith is based in trust, not circumstance. Let me say that again. True faith is based in trust, not circumstance. That's one reason why Paul acknowledged in verse 27, he said, Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. True faith is based in trust, not circumstances. And here's another kicker to that reality. Ultimately, God cares more about our holiness than our happiness. Our God cares more about our holiness than our happiness. And that may feel uncomfortable as you hear that right now, maybe even a little alarming to you. But let me, let me just explain it for a moment. He cares about us being like Jesus. He cares about us being Christ-like, which that is holiness. Christ-likeness is holiness. So he's more concerned with our being rather than our doing. It doesn't mean he doesn't care what we do. It means he wants our being to shape and inform and define our doing. So listen, most of us try to avoid suffering. And anyone who does suffer usually prefers not to. But we're not created for pain. Even as infants, the slightest discomfort, we cry. And later in life, we still cry at pain. And what Paul here is doing, he's not advocating the idea that pain is good, or that suffering is enjoyable, or that hurt should be our goal. But what he's saying is we're called to endure hardship for the sake of Christ. And this even includes personal suffering. It includes injustice or tragedy, or loss. Because with Jesus, in Jesus, abiding in Him, we can endure that with hope. We can have hope amidst suffering, especially as we abide deeper and deeper and deeper with Him to the point where we're below the circumstances of life. The Lord cares about our holiness more than our happiness. It's about who we are more than what we experience or do. Because what we do is determined by who we are. And both are defined by who or what we depend on. Here's another layer down in this concept. Our happiness is primarily most often, if not all the time, just about us and it's temporary. But holiness in the life of a person, that is a corporate reality. That is a ripple into the lives of other people, and it rings into eternity. God cares more about our holiness than our happiness. So he will allow suffering if it leads us to holiness, if it leads others to holiness. And chain reaction between life and faith in Jesus it's not just about us, it's about others. And we see this principle played out in what Paul was experiencing and what Paul is writing. As he found gladness in what he was enduring through the power of God at work in him. That's why he could say, verse 28 and verse 29, So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. Depending on Christ's mighty power. Depending on whose mighty power? 
Christ's. It's Him, not us. So what? Uh, What do we do with all this? Well, the key in everything we're talking about is to depend on Jesus and no other. What we depend on determines what's possible. And we need to be willing to endure hardship for and hardship through Jesus to serve His kingdom faithfully, to give Him our best energy and best resources, and even at times to take on the pain of others. That may sound like no fun at all, and it often just plain old isn't, but it is what Jesus did. And part of what the Lord may be asking of you is that you would come alongside and share in the sufferings not only of His Son, but in those around you, so that His love can be revealed in the midst of any circumstance. Everyone depends on something or someone. You may be depending on your spouse, your kids, your boss. You may currently be depending on your parents or your peers. You may right now be someone who is only depending on yourself and a couple of boards to hold up the vehicle of life. But everyone depends on something and someone. But if we don't depend on Jesus first, life will be less. If he doesn't have priority as the one we trust most, then we will struggle in the circumstances of life. Yet, if we abide in him, if we rest in him and depend on him, then whatever we do comes out of being with him. And then the circumstances become irrelevant as we proclaim him, as we point to him, as we say he is the one for the reason, the reason for the hope that we have. It's him and no other. We get to proclaim him, not us. He is the one who is before all things and in him all things hold together. And that reality is why Paul did what he did. It's what drove him. It was the driving force of his life. No matter the circumstance, he was able to endure with patience and joy for the glory of God, bearing that fruit. And we can do the same when our faith is based in trust, not circumstances. You know, I used to uh, hear some people give their testimony. A testimony is basically your spiritual story. I used to hear people give their testimony and think to myself that my story was pretty vanilla. I used to hear people share a testimony like a story similar to Paul where had been in one place dramatic and then through Jesus dramatically transformed in a totally different place. And I used to hear those stories and go, wow, that is a powerful testimony. And mine is not. But it was in my early 20s that God humbled me and brought me to my knees and showed me that I was wrong. You see, I was focusing on me in my story, not him. I was focusing on what I had done or not done instead of what he had done and is doing. And the power of any testimony is not in what we do or don't do. It's in what he has done and is doing. And we, as followers of Jesus, have the privilege of simply proclaiming him, telling others what he has done in our life. Just to say, Lord, I I don't understand it all, but I know this is where I was and this is where I am. This is what I know he is doing. He is giving me knowledge. He is allowing my life to have worthiness before the Lord through fruit. And I endure in this world and I have patience in it and I have joy because it is him at work in me. I don't know what your story looks like, but it's the fingerprints of God on it. 
that frame the power of that story. And we get to proclaim. What I wonder is who we're actually proclaiming in the process. Are we proclaiming him or are we proclaiming us? Are we telling what we have done or are we telling what he has done? The reality is we can't get out of where we're at on our own. But with him, he can fix and redeem. He can take what's broken and fix it. He can take what's hopeless and make it hopeful. And he can take what is lost and make it found. He rescues and redeems. When we abide in him, and whether, regardless of who you are or where you're from, your family background, what is in front of you, the bigger picture of what we're talking about, that is, if you receive Christ, then he is in you. And there is hope, and there is life, and there is more. Whatever you face, if you depend on him and not yourself, we get to proclaim him. It is Christ and no other. There's nothing more and there's nothing less. It is through his rescue that we are saved. And it is by his spirit that we have knowledge, that we can live a life that is worthy, and we have his power at work in us in a way that we can endure whatever we face. Whatever you are facing today, good or bad, hard or easy, something you celebrate or something you weep over, It is Jesus and Jesus alone who is the one that can position you to live and thrive through it for his glory and the glory of the Father bearing fruit along the way. But that depends on who we will put our trust in, who we depend on, and who we proclaim. It's our choice. We get to speak into that. And my prayer is that we would all be a people who say it is Jesus and Jesus alone. It is about him and not me. And it is only through him, the one in whom all things hold together, that I have life and hope. In a moment, I want to pray. But before I do that, I want to just bring you into the loop of two things. Uh, I have a passion for leadership development. I love seeing leaders raised up. And I believe it's a core expression of making disciples who make disciples. Which is why, as a church, we're pretty tenacious about seeking to multiply disciples, multiply leaders, and multiply churches. It's also why I've had the privilege of investing in a few leaders here among the Heritage Ministry team to develop them as communicators. And so I'm thrilled to tell you that over the next five weeks, we will have an opportunity to have five of those individuals come and share and teach from the Word of God. And I'm excited. I celebrate that we have people on our team that are willing to step up and be stretched and step into more responsibility and to serve the Heritage family in this way. And I'm looking forward to seeing what God does in it. I ask you to pray for them, one. I ask you to lean into what they're saying as well, to hear what God wants to say to you through them. And I know if you're willing to do that, he will speak And you will hear him leading as these guys lead us through a little bit more of the chain reaction journey through Colossians. Now, with that plan in place, my family and I are going to take a little bit of that time, some of that time, to get away as a family. We're going to do a few things. Beginning of July, we're going to go and participate in my mom's committal service in California. Looking forward to that closure in that journey. Appreciate the prayers you guys have offered for us to this point. Also going to spend time with extended family and take some long overdue vacation that I need to be investing with my family through. 
I share those things to bring you in the loop so that you are positioned to pray. I'm looking forward to seeing what God does through us as we continue in this summer series and looking forward to stepping back in a number of weeks to share with you out of God's word as we wrap up the series. Let's take a moment now and let's pray together as we step into worship. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your pursuit of us. I thank you that through your son Jesus there is rescue. I thank you that through him you impart your spirit to us. You give us knowledge of your will. You equip us to live a life that is worthy. And you do it in a way that you give us endurance and patience and joy no matter what the circumstances are. I pray that you would find us as a people as we continue in this journey, increasingly abiding in your Son at deeper and deeper levels to the point that we can live in circumstances but not let them push us around so that we can honor you and bring glory to you through fruit in our circumstances as we rest and abide in your power and strength through your Son, Jesus. So, Father, I pray that you would continue to speak as we process your word. I thank you for pursuing us again through Jesus. We pray this in his name. I love you dearly. And all God's people said, amen.